had, and always would, London's favourite playground. His mind was not on crime or criminals, and he gave none a second thought, but many a fleeting one. Across Park Lane, for instance, at one of the luxury hotels, two CID men were posing as guests and keeping an eye on a smart gentleman from Scandinavia who was probably going to try to sell property he didn't own. In the same hotel was a man who had come out of prison six months ago after a twelve-year sentence with full remission. So far he was doing all right, but working as a kitchen hand could not be expected to keep an astute mind busy, and he would brood over his wife, who had gone off with another man within a few weeks of his sentence, and also brood over his past. There wasn't much one could do for chaps like that, except have a word with them now and again, or see that someone else did, trying to make them realise that they weren't entirely alone and outcasts. Just along a street leading off Park Lane was the house which, two weeks ago, had been besieged by sightseers and gawpers, the house where Lucy Love had been murdered. A pretty kid, she'd had everything, or nearly everything, films, television, a career in Hollywood if she'd wanted it. She had decided to play one man off against another. Who should one be sorry for? The dead girl or her murderer, who had tried to kill himself, failed, and was now in hospital, ready to be charged the moment he came out, without any hope left. A Rolls-Royce went by, and inside was a leading Queen's Council, with an income of £50,000 a year. Not long afterwards, an old-fashioned but spotless black Daimler passed, driven by one of Her Majesty's judges, whose salary was not much more than a tenth of the QC's. A man walking by the side of a woman, with three young children trailing behind, straightened up abruptly when he saw Gideon. This was Sergeant Wiley of the uniformed branch. "'Good morning, sir.' "'Morning, Sam. Lovely day. Morning, Mrs. Wiley.' Gideon raised a hand and smiled at the children and went on. Earlier he had seen another man with his wife and three children, who had turned round quickly to avoid the need for speaking to Gideon a pickpocket who would almost certainly be back in jail before the year was out. He seemed to stay out of jail just long enough to put his wife with child again and then get sent down until the child was born, and his children were taught to steal, to pick pockets, snatch handbags, become expert in shoplifting. All his life Gideon had been trying to understand why a man who knew that crime didn't pay could train his children into his own antisocial folly. What would be the result if all criminal parents were separated from their children? The first thing would be an uproar about the freedom of the individual, of course, and a lot of sentimental bosh. Gideon looked ahead at the crowds near Marble Arch, with his lips more relaxed and his eyes amused. He could hear a high-pitched voice carried to him on the quiet wind, but could not yet distinguish the words. The voice was unmistakable. He had heard it, on and off, for twenty-five years. This was Little Willie on his topic for the day. It might be anything from world government to the price of cabbages. Whatever it was, he would have the biggest crowd of all the soapbox orators of the park, because he could be funny, not always intentionally. Several other speakers were up, of course, and the sun had brought them audiences much larger than usual. They were battling one against the other, gesticulating, remonstrating, condemning, threatening with hellfire, cursing the government, making full use of the Englishman's freedom of speech, and seldom abusing it. Some did abuse it, of course. That was why several uniformed policemen were on the fringes of the crowd, listening, 
knowing which man was more likely to start using bad or abusive language, ready to quieten him down, knowing which man was likely to switch from criticism of the government to criticism of the royal family, then go near enough to treasonable utterance to be warned. A warning was usually enough, for very few of these men were ever taken from their boxes by the police. Mingling with the crowd, now several thousand strong, were half a dozen CID plainclothes men. This morning could become a pickpocket's harvest, and the best way to prevent it was to have CID men known to the thieves mixing with the crowd, as well as one or two who couldn't be identified. The high-pitched voice of Little Willie became louder. And the lifeblood of this country is being sapped, that's what it is, being sapped by the worship of sport. S-P-O-R-T, sport. I tell you again that the thought of millions of able-bodied men standing round a grave...